0: Lord, we thank you that the great gift of your presence is with your people. You have promised it from the beginning, and all throughout Scripture we see it. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come together, that we can worship you. And, Lord, we pray this morning that you would convict us, reprove us. Lord, that you would challenge us and that you would cause us to glorify you and to walk in your ways. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 1. Uh, not not the, the normal sermon that you probably hear when a, a visiting preacher comes, but when Joel told me that he was going to look at uh, the series on Colossians, and I was going to preach on Colossians, uh, I thought, well, I could preach on Ezekiel 1. That's a, a passage that is precious to me. I spent about six months on it, um, studying Um, certain parts of it but Ezekiel 1 what I want to get um, across this morning is that God's presence strengthens his people that's it God's presence strengthens his people now this is a very difficult passage one of the hardest to translate in Hebrew but I want to I want to try to describe to you this morning one of the most incredible places on the planet it's an ancient Nabataean city in Jordan, called Petra. I don't know, anyone been to Petra? Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Now, you arrive at this place that is like a barren landscape of not much more than rock and dirt, except there is this 1.2-kilometre passageway, which is like a corridor that leads to the city. Slowly, you walk through, impressed by the 2,000-year-old like a guttering system that catches every drop of water as you walk through it. In this harsh environment, as you proceed, you notice carvings in the rock until you are hit with this incredible structure in your face. It's carved out of solid rock, like like an ancient building. If this is all it was, then you would be satisfied. But this city spans... 264 square kilometers, tombs that cover entire hills, and a high place and treasury carved out of a rock. From cisterns to lions to homes, this ancient city is like nothing else on this planet. I've tried to give an accurate description of a vast ancient city that is hard to compare to anything else. Notice I said like, like, like. This is what we are doing when we approach Ezekiel 1. Notice all the likes, appearance, like in Ezekiel 1. So if you're trying to put uh, you're trying to draw a wheel and saying that's exactly what it is, then we're we're missing what Ezekiel 1 is doing. It is comparative. So we are doing this. We are trying to grasp for words to describe a God who is glorious and his presence which is unfathomable and beyond what our human language can express it's like ezekiel trying to find words to express the glory and the majesty of god god has shown him visions from heaven now one of the main themes in all of scripture is the presence of god which you would have heard a little bit about that in the kids talk and that is true of the book of ezekiel in the Garden of Eden, man walks uninterrupted in God's presence. God constantly promises throughout the Old Testament that he will be with them, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Joseph, Moses, and Joshua. Promise is, I will be with you. That is God's presence with his people. Now, John 1.14, when we, the word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled, was with us. Matthew 1.23 emmanuel god with us and in matthew 28 18 to 20 what are jesus's last words lo i will be with you always until the end of the age the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is what do christians long for what should christians long for we should long for god's presence we should enjoy his presence The presence of God is vital to Scripture and it is vital to our relationship with God. It is vital to Christianity, vital to every part of our lives because God has promised to be with His people. However, before we go too far into the New Testament, what is this presence and why is it vital here in Ezekiel 1? We're preaching from Ezekiel 1. So I've given you a snapshot of where we're going, but now we come back to Ezekiel 1. Now, to help us look at Ezekiel 1, we're going to look at three things. First one, in verses 1 to 3, the presence of God, God strengthens, and particularly it's Ezekiel here. Verses 4 to 22, the second point is the presence of God. God is not limited. That's where those wheels will come in a little bit. And verses 23 to 28, the third point, the presence of God, God is to be adored. You would have noticed that in verse 28. Now, the first help I want to give for this challenging passage is let us seek to understand the major idea. The major idea here presented through the vision and not dwell on the minutiae. Don't be clouded, don't get distracted by the minutiae. Let's get the grand, the big idea of what this passage is looking. Well, why is this passage here? Why is this passage with this vision and all this likeness and this glory of God here? Well, remember that Israel's past has been dominated with disobedience, breaking the covenant with God. In, they've been unfaithful. In 605 BC, Jerusalem was taken And some of the people were exiled to Babylon. Another deportation occurred in 597. And four years after 597, this is where we're at Ezekiel. He's not in Jerusalem, he's in Babylon, or he's on the Kebar Canal. And he is the prophet and priest. Not not in Jerusalem. He's a prophet and priest to the exiled community. This, This is radical. Isn't the temple, the presence of God, the sacrifices, that's in Jerusalem. That's where the prophets and the priests had to be. For the people of Israel, the presence of God was synonymous with the glorious city. With the presence of God or the glory of the Lord, if we look forward a little bit, in chapter 10, verse of Ezekiel, the presence of God was to leave the temple. How would the people be strengthened and comforted how will the people of Israel still worship their god when there is no temple and their home is far from the promised land <coughs> so ezekiel 1 let's read verses 1 to 3 that's where we're at in history in the 30th year in the 4th month on the 5th day of the month As I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal, and what does it say? And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. His presence was with him there. Ezekiel 1 is the most elaborate of theophanies in the whole Old Testament. If you think, what is this word, theophany? Um, I don't think I've heard that before. Simply, it's a visual appearance of God. Whether it's in a burning bush or in a cloud, a visual appearance of God. And, and so in verses 1 to 3, we see the presence of God God strengthens Ezekiel here. He's not in Jerusalem. He's with the exiles. He's on the Kebar Canal. And he sees visions, plural. The word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. And the hand of the Lord is upon Ezekiel. Now, together, you are stronger. I think about this with my wife and I. When we are on the same page... We are stronger in in parenting, in doing things together. When we're not together, well, things fall apart. Or on the building side. I used to be a builder. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are too heavy for one person. I I can't do it myself. I need someone else to give me a hand and and get the the heavy whatever it is um, up something. Or one time I went hunting in New Zealand. And we were climbing like a thousand metres vertically a day. Me and my mate, we were so tired, but we helped each other up. That we were stronger together. We are stronger when we are together. We are stronger when we are together with God. Ezekiel, here in Ezekiel 1, needed God. Israel needed God. Brothers and sisters, we need God and we need his presence And God supplied all that Ezekiel needed and all that the people of Israel needed here in this time in history. Without God, without his presence, we are like rocks without hardness. We are like a river without water, a door without hinges. Something vital would be missing because we don't have the presence of God. This is the great need of the world, isn't it? Without God, without Christ in them, living, animating the spirit that gives life, there is no hope. That is what the world needs. That is what Ezekiel needed and is what Israel needed at this time. See, God communicates his presence by theophany in this section. Ezekiel 1 is predominantly a theophany. The presence of God should strengthen the Israelites and us today. And and even though God is judging his people, the reason why they're in Babylon is because of judgment, he still says, I am with them. I will be with you. The Lord was where Ezekiel was. And this is a radical movement to Jews who knew that the Lord resided in Jerusalem. God is giving Ezekiel visions to reveal himself and to strengthen his people amidst a tumultuous time of exile. God shows Ezekiel visions of himself, of his glory. His hand is upon him and the word comes to him. Ezekiel, the presence of God, God strengthens Ezekiel. And if you keep reading through the book, you know that Ezekiel really needs God's presence for what the prophet would have to withstand. But secondly, verses 4 to 22. The presence of God, God is not limited. Notice that there is a lot of movement in this section. Lots of wheels, lots of movement. There's lots of things going on. Verse 12 We see that, and each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. You'll notice that there are lots of wings which um, require movement and beings moving. Um, You see in verses 16 to 21, wheels within wheels, moving wherever they will go. There is a lot of movement in this section. What is that talking about? Now all of creation is limited by something. There's not one thing that is li- not limited. We are limited, limited in presence. I'm sorry, but you cannot be here and there at the same time. So we call a contradiction. A dam, however, is limited in, by its height and by its strength. A building is limited by its foundations. We are limited in our ability to care, to, to help, for one, help one another. Our arms are constantly short, but God's arm has infinite reach we are limited god is not we can only comfort those who are close like being only in jerusalem humanly speaking if israel were to think that god can only comfort them if they're in israel in jerusalem then they have a very low view of god a very man-centered view of god but God comforts and is close to all his people, regardless of where they are. He strengthens and comforts. Now, verse 4 is a very important verse, I would argue, in the whole of Ezekiel. And, and by looking at it, you're like, well, okay, let's see what this is. Verse 4, at the very beginning of this vision, really speaks about divine activity in a vision of judgment. Now, it says, As I looked, behold... And in your translation, it might be whirlwind <coughs> or stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. What doesn't come out in a lot of the translations, and, and this is very difficult um, verse and passage, is that the word for spirit, wind or breath is used in verse 4 there, for stormy wind or for whirlwind. Now, why do I mention that? Why is that important? Now, if, if you're about to hear a description of the glory of the Lord in a section of Scripture, would, would it not surprise, would it, would it surprise you if we had references to maybe the, the Son and the, and the Spirit? Well, obviously not as, as Jesus and the Spirit poured out. I don't think it would surprise us that much. But let me demonstrate this. Uh, you, you can turn to these passages if you want, but um, we'll go through them very quickly. If you turn to Job 38.1 and Job 46 and 2 Kings 2.1 and 2 Kings 2.11, they use the same word for a stormy wind or a whirlwind, but without the use of the word ruach for spirit. And so they use the same uh, translation. But here in Ezekiel 1.4, you have the word ruach. You have this word for spirit in a chapter where it's talking about the glory of the Lord and where it is trying to express God's divine activity. Now, not only that, but in chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it is the spirit, the the ruach, that is animating the creatures and is in the wheels. It's not as if this wind... Is just like a a breath, like just blowing them along. It's not like this is just some sort of natural occurrence. What the Ruach, what this spirit is doing is animating, is activating. And the more you go through Ezekiel, the more you see the role of Ruach. And at the very beginning of the Ezekiel in chapter 1 verse 4, this is important because later in Ezekiel, you'll see that the spirit Gives life. Not only judgment, but in the midst of the judgment, there'd be a promise that life would come and would animate, in fact, bring death from death to life. Therefore, in a chapter that is communicating God's activity and presence, Ezekiel 1 begins with the Lord coming to Ezekiel and the Spirit bringing this vision, or we can say divine activity. To the prophet and priest Ezekiel. What I am communicating here, this is no ordinary storm. This is not as if the storm has just come out because it's summertime in Sydney and it cools us down. This is divine activity, it is divinely summoned to communicate God's control over Israel's judgment. God is in control of this judgment but he'll also be in control of being with them and promising them greater things than a literal, restricted place in Israel, in Jerusalem. This is the beginning of God displaying his divine activity through Ezekiel. Animation, control, and power. It highlights Ezekiel's main emphases. Judgment, that's what this vision is about. God's presence, we saw that in verses 1 to 3 and his sovereignty. So in verses 5 to 22, as we continue looking at the presence of God, God is not limited, we could read from verses 5 to 22, but notice how many times, like the word like, or appearance, which is their comparative terms, we're comparing one thing, it's not saying that, okay, this is a seat, It's it's like putting something there and saying, this is like a seat, this is like a table that sort of language happens 33 times in 25 verses i don't know about you but when you read scripture if that is happening in one chapter or even in a book you've got to be thinking that this is communicating something to us this is like or appearance There is a communication of the divine in this section. That God is active. And Ezekiel is trying to find words to express the glory of God. You know, if we fast forward to verse 28, we see that such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Notice what he does there. Such is the appearance of the likeness. That's like a doubling the comparison. Comparative term the glory of the Lord. What we are looking at in Ezekiel 1 is the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Now, it's hard to go through every little verse in this section. Um, Otherwise, we'll get bogged down in a lot of the detail. But as I mentioned before, this is indications of theophany of God's intense presence. When we see things like fire, Throne, cloud, all these things. It communicates God's activity. And so, especially when it's in a theophany. Now in verse 4, why I said verse 4 is so important is because it highlights some of this. There is a storm. There is (coughs) fire. There is cloud. And so these visual pictures reveal the character of God and the work of God. Notice that this is this is Ezekiel 1. There there are 48 chapters. The priority, why put Ezekiel 1 here? Difficult. We can't even, it's not like we're reading a narrative here and we're like, okay, that's a good start. Let's get on to the harder bits later. Right here at the beginning is something glorious that we're not supposed to miss. If we look at all the details, we miss. The glorious expression of God's judgment and majesty to his people. Now, this is an intense and graphic. The first thing we'll look at here, theophanies, is storm. Storm theophany. Storms demonstrate God's power and sometimes his displeasure. As I looked, behold, in verse 4, a stormy wind came out of the north. There is a threat of God's anger. we look at storms, think back to the storm at Sinai. It it contrasts the people's sin with a holy God. It, It separated them. People were not allowed to touch the mountain. There was a separation between God and his people. Without a mediator, without Moses, judgment awaited every individual. The threat was death. The storm exhibits God's power over all creation. This is God's sovereignty being shown in Ezekiel 1. Not only His judgment and His presence, but His sovereignty. I control the the clouds, the storms, the fire, the wind. Nothing is beyond me. When you go out into the world where there are so-called gods in Babylon and Assyria, the moabites and the edomites they can't control any of this i am the one god i am yahweh all these theophanies point to the sun and i'm not ashamed to say that if this is all these things in ezekiel one point to the sun they fulfilled in Christ by revealing the seriousness, when we look at, at a storm, the seriousness of God's anger and justice fulfilled on the cross. What is of greatest importance is what these theophanies reveal about God and his covenant promises and how his presence is seen in the covenant and kingdom. The, the next thing we look in verse 4, we see the fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. You'll notice that fire comes up again in chapter 1. Pillar of fire by night for the Israelites in the Exodus and the burning bush in Exodus 3 with Moses. It's clear that God was in fire. It emphasises purification and destruction. If you remember Matthew chapter 3, Christ's fire burns up the chaff, destroys it, but... It purifies believers by the Spirit coming to dwell and be with us. There is also cloud here, and a great cloud in verse 4. A cloud theophanies, Exodus 13, again, the cloud by day. It, it, It leads and it guides and it protects the people. A cloud conceals God, but he also appears in it. A guided and protected people, Christ is the fulfillment, for he guides and protects his people the concealing and revealing functions of the cloud point us to the mystery of christ so this is fulfilled in christ these things if we go through and we look at the wheels within the wheels and the wings and that there is movement here it's talking about god is not limited in strength in power in presence anything he controls all things whether it is the natural motions of waves or cloud or storms he is not restricted in any way shape or form god's presence and power cannot be contained it is both a strength it is an encouragement and comfort to his people so that is the presence of god god is not limited as we, as we come to the last point Verses 23 to 28, we see that the presence of God, God is to be adored. So, God has not left Israel. God has encouraged Ezekiel. He strengthens his people. He's said, I will be with you. He says, I am sovereign over all things. What is a creature's response? What is the prophet's response? Let's read verse 28 again. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. The imagery in this final section from verses 23 to 28 caused Ezekiel and should cause us to fall down on the ground, and worship God. It's a bit hard to see. You, You may have read Ezekiel 1 before and gone, this is just confusing. But what we are supposed to do is just marvel at the pictures, marvel at the theophanies, marvel at the words being used, marvel that God would still be with his people despite centuries of unfaithfulness, and yet he will still be faithful And he will still hold out his hand and he will still care for his people. Could you say that if God looked at your life, it would be a life of worship to him? How do you think that would look like if God did that? Well, our problem is there is no if. Notice I put if in there, but God sees all that we do, all our priorities or all our failures everything who is this king of glory he is the lord of all creation how much do we fail to worship this glorious majestic god brothers and sisters we have too many idols in our way that we do not fall down and and respond we have forgotten that our God is this grand and glorious and majestic, that He controls all things, that He loves us despite what we do, because He has saved us. We have too many comforts that cloud our eternal perspective. Our challenge is that we should not live for the temporary no more. That we would say these words: "I will not live for the temporary, no more, because none of those things will last. All those things will evaporate, be destroyed, taken away." Will we gaze upon the beauty of the sovereignty, presence, judgment, and salvation of the Triune God? There are too many distractions that deceive our hearts. Too much information competing for our minds. They are God's. If you've been saved by the blood of Christ, that you trust in Him, that you see that your sins have been forgiven and that you need a Savior. Your mind is not yours, your heart is not yours. It was purchased on the cross of Calvary. How dare we live! in such idolatry. There is a call to radical living, I believe, in affluent societies. A call for us to destroy our our idols, to smash them to pieces because we don't realise how unfaithful we are in worshipping him. We need Ezekiel 1 To have our hearts adjusted to the glory and majesty of god that our words are insufficient he is infinite and eternal brothers and sisters friends it is hard to worship god when you're worshiping something else what are you worshiping now what are you thinking about now What are we thinking about for the rest of the day, the rest of the week? Maybe the virus has consumed our thoughts. Maybe the cares of the world have consumed our thoughts. Christ is what should consume our thoughts. That we would turn to see all things in this world. Everything that he has done. And when we see it each day, that we would fall on our face and glorify him. I've thought of this illustration that I think is very helpful for how Christians should respond to this. And I think as Christians we should be like shrews. Does anyone know what the little little creature a shrew is? Like a little, little mouse or a little rat. Now, shrews have to continue to look for food all the time. If they go without food for more than three hours, they will die. Their life is a life of constantly looking for food as christians christians should be shrew-like our lives should constantly be looking to the glory of god to the treasures of heaven we are not snakes that eat once every maybe three to four months we're to be like shrews who come back to his word come back to appreciating what god has done in christ by his spirit that is our constant daily food and it should be our constant daily worship There are many other theophanies throughout this last section. The throne or court theophanies, which looks at God as the majestic king of the universe in verse 26. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. You see, throne and man. A throne speaks of a divide between the one who sits upon it and the subject's. Access, however, has been granted to this throne only in Christ. Without him, you are under the presence of God, but the presence of his judgment. But the other section, the other thing in verse 26 is a likeness with a human appearance. The appearance of a man, this is usually connected closely to throne appearances. They anticipate the permanent coming of God in permanent human form throughout the Old Testament and what we see in the incarnation of Christ. God's hand and arm symbolise his power to save and destroy. And there are many other theophanies to look at in Ezekiel 1, but our time gets away from us. The point is that God Will continue to care and fight he will provide salvation for his people god is still providing salvation for the israelites in ezekiel 1 in babylon but it will continue to be on his terms covenantal promise and presence that culminates in the new covenant where we meet christ god with us the presence of god the promise, the gift that God has given us Christ. So how do we respond? Well, we've already looked at the Shrew-like illustration. And the application for this is he strengthens and comforts no matter whether we are in Jerusalem or Babylon, whether we are in Drummond, Stanmore, Liverpool, Campbelltown, Queensland, Jerusalem, Babylon, Australia, the United Kingdom, even if you are from New Zealand or the US, God is even there. Even now in this pew, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you've been going through in this last week or the last month or the last year. But what is true that if you are in Christ, God is with you in that pew. He will strengthen you now and lift you up and give you a delight in his presence, Father, Son and Spirit. We commune with this God in Ezekiel 1. We had to fall on our face to worship, to adore our great God, to marvel, We should marvel, do you marvel, at your Father in heaven? The glory of God, this glory of God that we have seen here, that can only be expressed in comparative terms, likeness and appearance, this is the same glory of God, His presence that works in us, in the pew, in the car, wherever. The the evangelical revival, and I'll finish with this, was based upon personal devotion i love reading about the evangelical revival because what it did is believers got back to communing with god and seeing devotion with him as core to the christian life so as the spirit touched their hearts their lives should be changed And that they should preach that truth of the new birth of regeneration to everyone. We can, in our devotion with him, in our communion with him, have a grand height of all experience. We have access to God. That throne we spoke about, God promised that a man would come came in Christ, that we can approach the throne. We can have a grand experience every day of the glory of God because of what Christ has done. So in Ezekiel 1, remember that God strengthens by his presence. His presence is glory, glorious. It is not restricted. He is sovereign over all things. And his presence... for us who trust in christ if you don't trust in christ you should be afraid of ezekiel one because you only have judgment to look forward to and that judgment is threatening and it is disastrous to the soul but if you know christ this strength this presence should lift you up today with great joy in your heart Please pray with me now as we conclude. O great God of highest heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, we magnify you this day. Lord, we pray that the joy that you have sparked in our hearts and in our being, Lord, would not be snatched away as we step outside of these doors. But Lord, that we would meditate upon your word, that our devotion to you would grow because we have access to a God that in Ezekiel 1, your glory couldn't even have words to express. Lord, we pray that you would smash our idols this morning. Lord, that we would not be like fat snakes that eat once every three or four months, but, Lord, that we would be attentive and shrew-like in our Christianity, that we would feed upon the spiritual delight of your word, the spiritual delight of communing and praying with you, of being with your people, Lord, and that we would do this, not for our own sake, but for the sake of your your name, your glory, and your kingdom. We thank you for this time together that you have blessed us with your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.